Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 16 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this special edition of the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 16 years of profiling IT mission programs in the federal government. This is our first annual Profiles and Excellence Chief Data Officer Program, which will be coming to you from the virtual studios of WTOP and the Federal News Network. I'm Luke McCormack, and during today's show, we will discuss big data analytics and artificial intelligence trends and strategies at numerous government agencies and hear from the key leaders making them happen. With me on today's show are Mike Horton, Chief Data Officer, Department of Homeland Security, Tom Sasala, Chief Data Officer, Department of Navy, Nitesh Manikoff, Chief Data Officer at the FAA, Alan Jacobson, Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Altrix. Nick Saki, Principal Technology Strategist at Pure Storage, and Nicholas Spies, Chief Federal Technologist at Snowflake. Well, I, I couldn't think of a more timely subject of data analytics and artificial intelligence, and who better to talk about that than the Chief Data Officer community and certainly uh, our partners that are helping us out here. OMB has set the table, got good guidance from the Hill. It's time to, uh, to, to light it up. Uh, let me start with you, Mike. Uh, you just entered on duty there in regards to the chief data officer position. Give us a state of the state of what you're seeing over there. What direction are you getting? Sort of what's, the, uh, what's the strategy? Well, thanks Luke, thanks for having me on and uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about what we're doing. Uh, we're excited. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of discovery. Uh, we've been doing our best to get, uh, to get an inventory going to find out what we have to work with. But the, the really good news at DHS is that there's been a lot of really good data work happening down at the components. We don't have to uh, really reinvent anything. It's more of a collection exercise. It's more of a, an opportunity to learn about the great data products and great data products opportunities that are happening down at our 22 components. It's a, a really diverse mission at DHS and data helps us in so many ways. And the good news is, like I said, it's already happening. We're collecting data on emergency management from FEMA. We're collecting data on immigration statistics from USCIS. We are collecting buoy and weather data from the US Coast Guard. And our goal here at the, at the enterprise level is to make the most use of that data to uh, ensure that it's being secured and shared uh, as, as, to, to its potential. And, and most importantly, to make sure we, we follow guidelines that have been set by both uh, at the federal level and at the component level to make sure we're um, paying real, real close attention to privacy, real close attention to our mandate to, to uh, protect the data that we need to and to push the data back out to the citizens uh, that, that own that data. So our, our, our real focus right now, Luke, is to get data products up to leadership to make good decisions and to push good data down to the operator so they can do their mission. Tom, how about over at the Department of Navy? There's a lot of activity going on over there. I know you've got a lot of moving parts. Tell us about the uh, uh, state of the state at the Department of Navy. Sure thing. So it's not very dissimilar to what uh, Mike is actually experiencing over at DHS. And, uh, you know, we've been working on this now for about two years continuously. We're in the process of actually writing our annual report to Congress. So that's a good way for us to kind of step back and look at what we said we were going to do and actually inventory what we did uh, and then set ourselves up for the next calendar year. So over the last year or so, we really uh, pushed hard on a data catalog. Um, we got the basic 
uh, infrastructure in place for not only doing that inventory of data that Mike mentioned as well, uh, but also setting ourselves up for inventorying the digital services that we're going to go after as part of our data portfolio. And so what I mean by that is we're really trying to move as a department of the Navy to shared enterprise services as much as we can. So where there is analysis happening, how do we empower our workforce, our sailors, our Marines, uh, and our civilians with tools to do their job? And, you know, we had the former undersecretary set the bar saying the tools that we're providing to our workforce have to be as easy to use as what they have today. And so that kind of sets the bar at the PowerPoint or Excel level <laughs> um, in terms of ease of use, which is good, right? Uh, the challenge is, is how do you extract as much value out of the data as you can by giving some very basic tools and then empowering that you may be 5% or 1% of the workforce with the power tools that they need to do their job. And so We've been working hard on use cases. We have a number of really compelling use cases uh, supporting fleet forces in terms of readiness and, and ship preparedness and aircraft uh, maintenance type data. And we've also, you know, obviously, I think with a lot of the federal uh, CDOs have been digging in on the COVID data, uh, supply chain challenges and some PPE things there. That seems like the gift that keeps on giving in my opinion. <laughs> um, and then, you know, lastly, we really have been working very closely with the undersecretary, the former one and the current uh, acting uh, undersecretary on performance management. So how do we start using data in the Department of the Navy to drive performance, make decisions, measure their outcomes, and then react to what we're seeing in terms of the decisions that are being made. And that really is a seminal moment for the department because uh, thus far, uh, kind of broadly, we haven't really used data for true decision-making purposes beyond what I would consider the more tactical kind of warfighting sort of aspect. So uh, that's exciting, and we're looking forward to where we're heading and, uh, and looking forward to the rest of the conversation. And Natesh, how about over at FAA? You all are on a journey over there uh, with NextGen and everything else going on, and uh, that, that data analytics so important at the FAA. Uh, very true, Luke, uh, and good, uh, good afternoon, and thank you for uh, uh, inviting me to be part of this. Uh, it's both a pleasure and a privilege. I uh, haven't had this uh, opportunity to have this conversation in a year or so. As both Mike and Tom mentioned, uh, the stories are very dissimilar. I fortunately have had uh, a couple more years to work on it. Uh, the main uh, effort at the agency, obviously, in simple terms, is improving decision intelligence for everyone uh, everywhere within the agency. And um, a key focus of that is trying to get to as much self-service, um, as much rapid deployment, so that we can enable everybody throughout the agency to use uh, data. In the past couple of years, um, uh, we have been able to put a few enterprise capabilities together. So obviously we do have a cataloging capability, which we deployed a couple of years ago, slowly building on that and improving uh, the catalog and the quality of the data that folks uh, have access to. Um, we have a cloud-based data platform, an enterprise data platform that everybody can leverage that we have been consistently adding curated data assets to. Um, we also have been pushing for um, as I said, self-service capability. So we have uh, better tools and training for uh, the workforce in general. All of this is in the context of supporting and aligning with the agency's priorities for improved safety, uh, improving the operational excellence uh, throughout the FA, and as we go through, we'll cite some examples and continuing global leadership in aviation and aerospace. So in, in terms of the um, machine learning, big data trends, uh, recently, we do see a greater adoption of natural language processing and geospatial analytics, which are core to many of the things which we do. 
But as the technologies mature and improve uh, in NLP, more use cases are opening up, and I'm looking forward to uh, having further conversation on some of those things. Alan, how about at Alterx? First of all, tell us, you know, how do they fit into this picture? You, you all have a real opportunity to stripe across these agencies in the private sector, et cetera. Tell us where you fit in and what you're seeing there. Uh, thanks again, Luke. I, yeah, the, a great group of people that you have on the phone. We, we actually have the privilege of working with each of their agencies as, as well as many others. And I think the trend, uh, you know, Nitesh just hit on it. This broad democratization of, of, of analytics is, is clearly a trend we see. And, and really what we see is a focus on upskilling, building data literacy within existing teams and a push to really better democratize not just the data, but the analytics capability. And while there's a lot of discussion taking place around AI and ML, I think there's a hard one realization that the foundational building block for any successful AI and ML strategy are really the domain experts, your knowledge workers the majority of, of your workforce to have data literacy, data wrangling capabilities, and, and the ability to understand when and how to leverage AI and ML. And, and that upskilling is, is, is absolutely where we're focused. We see some great examples. I'll give some, maybe at some other agencies. I, a former military service member um, just recently uh, said, you know, just several years ago, he was in the Marine Corps and didn't know what a VLOOKUP was. And now he's an SME for a team of 10 starting with ML exploration. And within a month of using Alteryx, he was saving 25% of his time uh, in data ETL. And he now works for a large defense contractor. At the State Department, um, they're using uh, Alteryx, incorporating R and Python into, into workflows and really upskilling their, their staff uh, to create more actionable insights. Uh, and at the state level, we've got states like South Dakota where their audit teams um, automating uh, building blocks of, of their processes within their audit team. And they talk about Alteryx as being a secret decoder ring, uh, allowing them to wave through, wade through a lot of complex data um, and get insights from it. A, a common pattern we see with AI and ML is this ability to get insight uh, from, from large quantities of, of data. And the last one maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go with is uh, uh, one, of, one of our Navy veterans uh, who just uh, went through our, our, what we call our ADAPT program, a training program. Uh, she'd gotten out of the military and had all of these skills, uh, but didn't have a way of showing uh, what she was capable of. And with that Ultra certification, had a clear statement of, of what she could do with data and analytics. Uh, so really powerful seeing how it's upskilling people at that individual level, helping them maybe get to the next uh, phase of their career. And within organizations uh, like the FAA, like the, the Navy, uh, the Department of Navy, we're, we're seeing some, some great outcomes. Nick, how about at Pure Storage? lot of activity going on over there. You all, again, see it from a, uh, a unique perspective. Uh, tell us what you're seeing out there. What's uh, What are the customers telling you? Thank you, Luke. Uh, we're, uh, we continue to be focused on building the foundation to enable managing and processing the enormous quantity of data. As we said, data is the new oil, data is the new gold. It's a resource in, in tremendous uh, availability, but refining that data to drive timely, relevant, accurate decision-making remains one of the core needs and frankly, one of the core challenges uh, to modern infrastructure as well. So we're enhancing the tools, the hardware and software that are allowing organizations to focus on the processing, making the infrastructure invisible and self-driving because that's one of the biggest things that we're getting out of a lot of organizations is the time that they're spending working on their infrastructure or beating it into submission isn't time spent on actually accomplishing the mission, developing the algorithms, processing the data and arriving at decisions and then deploying capability forward. Um, 
so you know the infrastructure needs to be basically a tool that invisibly or automatically unobtrusively helps the data scientists and the end users ultimately obtain their objectives um, across the foundation of the infrastructure we're watching we're seeing high performance object and file storage which are really the data types that predominate in cloud and hyperscale environments uh, remain a key and essential capability for our customers and, and really remain a key tenant uh, of our development. And then we've seen you know, tremendous expansion in the demand for better tools, newer application infrastructure in the form of the growth of Kubernetes and a tremendous growth in the development and deployment of artificial intelligence for actual production work um, across all fields, medical uh, intelligence and security, manufacturing, supply chain, uh, you name it. If a human was, uh, or a team of humans were developing solutions, monitoring situations, et cetera, then artificial intelligence is rapidly being deployed to augment and assist them or fully automate the process. So the need right. is for systems that allow people to get more work done and be able to support greater quantities of data. Nicholas, how about a snowflake? Uh, you're, you're, you're sort of uh, up that value chain, if you will, in regards to the analytics. Uh, what are you seeing out there as, as all this data gets collected and everyone's trying to process it and analyze it and make good decisions? Yeah, thanks, Luke. Good afternoon, and uh, everyone at home. Good afternoon to you too. Um, you know, th there's a lot of trends that we could identify and talk about, and my colleagues have done a great job of that already. I'll just add one more to that, and it's especially relevant in all of public sector, not just federal government, not just state governments, not even just public sector. It's all of all of everyone, and it's the need to share data and collaborate on data. Um, great example with the, the great folks we have here today. The FAA has to collaborate with NTSB. They have to collaborate with air carriers. They have to collaborate with the public and let us know where uh, flight safety issues are. Uh, Bill of rights for airline passengers. All of those things are issues that the FAA can solve, but can solve better if they have data from the NTSB, data from the air carriers, and if they're giving that data back to them. Same thing at DHS. DHS collaborates across all of its subcomponents, uh, and they also collaborate with agencies outside of their own uh, sort of cloud of influence. And the great thing about the, the government agencies is that you may have a very specific purpose, uh, but you may have a shared mission with several agencies. So the biggest trend we're seeing is that agencies are collaborating and sharing data at a much higher rate than we've ever seen before, Luke. Tom, um, how about giving us a specific program that you'd like to highlight that you've been working on over there at the Navy in regards to data analytics, artificial intelligence, et cetera? Yeah, so we have a number of things going on. And I, I think probably the easiest thing to highlight is what we're trying to do for the enterprise uh, and then how that fits into maybe some of the things that Nicholas and Alan and, and Nick have mentioned actually as well. So uh, so we're working with OSD. OSD has this platform called Advana. It's the enterprise analytics for the secretary and the deputy secretary of defense. So we have a tenant inside that environment called Jupiter, which is our enterprise analytics for the Department of the Navy. We're trying to draw data in and make it available, readily accessible uh, for all of our workforce, right? And so I just had a conversation yesterday actually with the folks in the um, in the C4I program uh, on the tactical side about how do we push that uh, analytic capability at scale down to the fleet as far to the edge as possible. And so there's there's some work that's being done right now. It's advanced engineering really around uh, how do we more optimize our data storage in uh, onboard ships, specifically in surface fleet, uh, and provide analytics capability to the, the folks that are on this ship that maybe are not engaged in war, fight, war fighting or, you know, kind of fires activities. And so what does that really mean for the fleet? What do they need? And so we're in the 
we're in the process of defining the kind of the requirements and how we want to structure that work that we're doing on the ship. And so it doesn't have a name yet uh, in terms of a program, but what it is is it's advancing the warfight through that operational advantage created through data and data analytics, right? And so the the open question we're trying to wrestle with right now is, uh, and, and Nick mentioned this, you know, how do we get our infrastructure up to scale? How do we create the tools that are more uh, useful across a broad range of things that are not highly specialized uh, so that we can apply them to future war fights we can't predict now? And so that's kind of the challenge where we are in right now is driving that innovation to a point where we don't have niche solutions deployed on 100 or 1,000 different platforms, but more general solutions that can be applied to 100 or 1,000 different problems as they emerge episodically uh, inside of uh, maybe a specific AOR or you know in support of one of the co-coms or the, like CENTCOM or, or PayCom or something like this, right? So we want to make sure that we are providing the best skills and you know and i think it was uh, alan was talking about the you know the the folks that are have these have these skills they've learned them and how do they capitalize on them and that's really challenging for us and that's one of the things that i want to focus next year on is really that acumen right and so i would say taking those sailors and those soldiers and those folks that are forward deploy drawing on their expertise in the form of uh, their military experience and their 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 experience supporting commanders, right? Um, and then pulling them back into headquarters and educating us on what the commanders need, and then further empowering them by putting them back into the field. And so, like I said, the, the project doesn't quite have a name yet, but we're still trying to uh, you know figure out exactly how we want to organize uh, our work in that area. But I, I think of all the things we're working on, you know, the visualizing the data work that we've been doing, all the different use cases, is really powerful but really upscaling that workforce and integrating them with the data from the point at which they kind of join the force. Um, and then as they you know, progress in their career, they're gonna move up and up and up and all they're gonna to wanna to do, right? Is they're gonna want more and more data. They're gonna want more and more integrated data, more integrated data. Um, and so I think that's gonna be really powerful in the years coming. And so that's more of a much more strategic foundational element that I think is gonna really, really have a high ROI when we get there. Fantastic and interesting. I think it's the first time on the show that we've actually had this late breaking of news where we have a program that doesn't even have a name yet. Yeah. Uh, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to, to, to put that power in the hands of those sailors is, is fascinating and incredible. We look forward to that. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Did you know the current Gartner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays positions pure storage highest on ability to execute and farthest right on completeness of vision? It is all about managing the data, and Pure is dedicated to transforming the complexities of government IT by delivering a modern data experience. Check out the Gartner Report and learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com government. Every organization wishes their data was well-structured and organized with the ability to use spreadsheets to uncover insight, but that is just not the reality. Data is messy and complex, but Alteryx makes the journey to advanced analytics achievable by upskilling your existing data resources with analytic automation, including prep and blend, geospatial, predictive, and machine learning, all in a code-free, code-friendly environment. Visit Alteryx.com to learn more. Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. 
With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about data analytics and artificial intelligence and got a fantastic group of CD- CDOs and um, a great group of partners with us today. Um, we're talking about specific programs. I want to throw it over to you, Nicholas, at Snowflake. And tell us about a specific program you'd like to highlight. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Um, there's a lot of examples out there in the world, but I think probably the most prominent that I want to talk about is some of the COVID response work that Snowflake has been a part of. Um, I hate to give COVID credit for anything in the modern world, but the, the reality is uh, when we talk about data, data sharing, collaboration, um, and, and the government learning and the public learning from the government learning, COVID is probably the strongest example we have. I think a lot of the, the sort of stick that CDOs can wave around these days is as big as it is because of the great work gained by COVID. Uh, Snowflake has been an integral part of several states' response and also uh, a bit at the federal level on the research side and also on the tracking of PPE, the tracking of case data. That data being able to be shared with the public allows transparency, which honestly, that's where trust comes from. If you're transparent about why you're putting legislation in place or you're requiring a mask or a vaccine works or doesn't work, data is the only way to achieve transparency, which is the only way to achieve trust. Um, that kind of mentality where we have a lot of data being used for a great purpose and then transparency and trust being built on top of sharing that data is always something worth highlighting and COVID's a great example. Mike, let's talk about a specific program at DHS that you'd like to highlight. I know you just got on duty there, but you've been in that community for a while. There's a lot of focus on various activities. What's sort of, uh, you know, in the hopper right now that you'd like to hop, uh, highlight? Well, Luke, thanks for the question. And, and this is uh, something near and dear to me. People talk about big data all the time. One of the things I'm, I'm fond of is little data and, and where you can find some, <clears throat> some real synergy between uh, different subsets of little data. And you bring that data together and you can, you can make a data product that matters. So Alan talked a little bit about data literacy and um, Nick talked about tools and then Nicholas talked about sort of bringing all that together. And then uh, lastly, Nicholas was talking about, about COVID. So with all those things in mind, here's what happened. We, uh, we had this, this COVID situation and our uh, chief readiness um, support officer, uh, Tom Shalecki and, and his deputy Trey Watkins, they said, hey, we, we have a real property uh, question. Uh, how much of our real property is relevant now? Uh, how much of it will be, will, will be relevant uh, as we move into the future? And, and what's the usage? What's the real usage? So we gave those, uh, the, that group some tools we gave them some data that they didn't normally have access to, and I'm specifically talking about network and login data. So they're meshing a small data set, little data, not big data, mm-hmm. they're using the tools, and they're taking um, physical security sensor data, meshing it with network uh, activity data, and we have now a map of usage of all the buildings and real property uh, in, in DHS. And they're using that data to make defined, specific decisions about leases, about square footage, about occupancy that we've never been able to do before. And to me, that's a real victory down at the program offices. Those guys are pioneers and they are they and their team have, have put this entire concept to use uh, for, for DHS and, and for federal government. Alan, how about uh, over at Alterx? Tell us about a specific program you'd like to highlight uh, that you're working on uh, across the spectrum. 
<laughs> it's impossible to pick just one. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to, I'll do one, I'll do one federal and one, one, uh, one state. So, you know, the U S census, we've done a lot of work with them and yeah. watching them automate some of their processes. They had a process where uh, they were producing insights on economic indicators. And historically they had really a manual process where, you know, site inspectors were collecting survey data and they had to manually collect it and compile it, analyze it every month, really time consuming and, and one that could have errors introduced because of all that manual process. And they took Alteryx and uh, really took some new data sources. They now use satellite imagery to, to supplement that structured data um, using machine vision uh, and really automated data collection processes. They take tens of thousands of municipalities worth of data and run it through a full automation. And now they're able to really accelerate the speed uh, to get that insight, improve the sample size of data, because now they don't really have to sample, they can use all the data, uh, really increasing the granularity of that insight that they give out. And that creates you know, more value for the people, you know, the stakeholders that are, that are using that. And one of the cool things here, again, is we see this ability to upskill that these domain experts that, that have you know, really deep knowledge of that process we're able to do it themselves. And, and that's really exciting to see. And then one other example, since COVID uh, hopefully is on its way out, um, the state of Florida, when their unemployment system really crashed under the weight of COVID, they used Alteryx to really take and unify all of that cloud-based collection that they had in Google Forms actually, uh, and automate that process, uh, taking 76 different workflows and uh, being able to carve through 2 million unemployment applications with greater speed and accuracy uh, and no longer having the system crash. And so whether it's that very kind of more tactical mm -hmm. response to, in this case, a pandemic or really you know, up leveling the levels of insight that an agency was giving, we see just, just huge impact uh, at organizations really all over the world. Yeah, uh, great use cases there and uh, interesting concepts, both on, on both commercial and, and uh uh, public sector. Natesh, how about at FAA? I read about a lot of different uh, fascinating things that are going on over there. You want to highlight uh, one program where you're using this data analytics, perhaps artificial intelligence, to uh, further the program? Uh, yes, Luke, as you say, a lot of wonderful work uh, going on throughout FAA, so it's hard to kind of zero in on one. Um, Mike's example reminded me of an organization uh, that is doing a couple of things. So let me um, uh, kind of zero in on uh, and highlight the work of our air traffic operations uh, safety organization. Mm. Um, so uh, as you can imagine, uh, they, ha they have a tracking system for tracking, reviewing, approving safety analysis. They call it the safety management tracking system. Um, it produces risk management documentation, supports the process itself for risk management. Um, and allows for data sharing of the safety or risk analysis across uh, the national airspace. Now, for a safety critical operation such as ours, this is an area where human expertise is paramount, right? And it's a very uh, expert uh, driven domain, but machine learning and AI can augment such efforts. So uh, to Mike's point, not all efforts are big data uh, analysis efforts. So ATO, air traffic operations safety, undertook a, a project to use machine learning and uh, advanced analytical techniques to improve the quality of the tracking data um, so that they can uh, identify gaps in uh, the data, 
they can improve the consistency of the safety analysis for future uh, projects. So another example, uh, briefly, of, from the same organization kind of highlights how they are leveraging work which we have already done on all these uh, deploying these technologies. So we have, as I said, uh, a large uh, uh, data environment, a data platform in cloud. So ATO Safety was able to use this for a project called Aviation Risk Identification and Assessment, or ARIA. So it's a system, as a collection of processes and microservices that can be leveraged to analyze potential risks across a wide variety of air travel uh, domains. They first focused on uh, risk of encounters uh, in the air. Um, now they are focusing on, so they are using machine learning to improve um, the events that they focus on versus just looking for compliance. They are look, uh, identifying risk scores for potential um, uh, safety events and focusing the limited availability of resources that we have from the human point of view on the higher risk items. Now they are taking it to the ground for ground movement of aircraft. They have uh, an upcoming enhancement which will look at uh, control flight into terrain. So that team is actually leveraging the enterprise capabilities that we built in the best way possible. They're a great partner. They push the boundary. They uh, are uh, kind of making us look for enhancements to the enterprise capabilities which we built. So these are a couple of examples in our main uh, mission area for safety. There are dozens of examples in operational efficiency and so forth, our tech ops operation, just looking at predictive analytics to improve um, uh, the technical operations, which again, uh, COVID and the forced remote work has pushed the agency in those areas. But your request was for an example or two, so I'll uh, stop there. Right, and uh, fascinating. Uh, again, a first uh, uh, of small data, little data versus big data. Uh, but these are uh, use cases that are, are, are real time and right in front of these operators and super important. I, I think it's fascinating to, to highlight these cases. Uh, typically we talk about the, as you said, these larger type of lofty uh, type of uh, programs. Uh, so great examples uh, uh, by all of you. Nick, how about uh, over at Pure Storage? Can you give us a, uh, an example of a uh, program you'd like to highlight. Yeah, absolutely. And this next one is, uh, is in, in Tom's hemisphere. So the Naval Surface Warfare Crane, about three years ago, um, acquired a dedicated platform for doing artificial intelligence research. And subsequently with the growth of that platform, they made it available broadly as an artificial intelligence high-performance computing as a service platform in the Navy's high-performance computing catalog. So we're seeing uh, the expansion of the availability of artificial intelligence resources, and particularly the, the processing architecture for that, being deployed across entire services, uh, which gives them resources on uh, obviously unclassified and protected networks uh, for supporting an entire range of uh, literally every endeavor for machine learning and artificial intelligence applications. So we've been very, uh, very proud to partner with, uh, with Crane to continue to refine that and make it available uh, and sustain it, of course. Um, very important program, and I'm glad you're highlighting that and um, uh, for the good of the order. I uh, wanna talk about priorities, Tom. I'm gonna start with you. Uh, can you talk to us about, uh, just give us your top two or three priorities there at the Navy that you're gonna be focusing on this year. 
Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so, so you know, it, it's interesting over the last couple of years, and not only my time in the Army, but also now in the Department of the Navy, the priorities are really starting to shift a little bit, right? So we're making a lot of progress in some of the more fundamental things. But for the next 12 months or so, we're really uh, focusing in on inventorying our data, knowing where it is, knowing what it is, knowing what its sensitivity level is, what system it's in. And then more importantly, this is going to be the challenges, knowing what systems talk to what other systems so we know how the data flows throughout the environment. So that's something that we are digging in on now. That is actually an offshoot of a broader initiative that we're calling Supernova, uh, which is a data rationalization effort. And so, you know, Nick mentioned uh, the high, high performance computing environment. That's something we've been working with the analytic uh, folks over in the N7 on the Navy side. So they have this thing called the analytic master plan, which is a, you know, a, a, an attempt to kind of organize the Navy in terms of how we're going to do analytics at scale. Um, and so that inventorying is going to be important to know, you know, where that data exists. And then that'll allow us to, you know, not only know what we have, but how to protect it properly, how to position it properly, make sure that the people that need it have access to it, ready access to it, right? Uh, and, and then also allow us to make sure that that we're using uh, authoritative data sets or what we call originating data rather than some sort of derivative data that has been you know mucked with in some way or manner or fashion or form so that cataloging effort and that uh, supernova data rationalization effort are going to be really important to us moving forward uh, and then the ne next thing i think that we're really going to focus in on uh, make a big push on anyway is really trying to uh, communication and upskilling of the workforce through that acumen effort that i mentioned earlier uh, I think that's going to be really essential for us making progress. And so once we understand where our data is and what that data is and maybe the, the cleanliness of it, the quality level of it, and, uh, you know, typically we call it veracity, but really broadly, uh, can we trust the data for decision-making purposes and to create that operational advantage is an open question, right? So we've done some basic data uh, maturity modeling right now and, you know, out of a, a five or not near five. Right? <laughs> so um, it's not unsurprising. The results are not unsurprising, but how do we start moving that needle? And so um, the last thing, again, I, I think I mentioned earlier, it, it, well, is just really starting to use data uh, for performance management. And so that's going to be really important to not only uh, look at ourselves uh, very uh, in a way that is very benign and say, you know, let's just be honest about where we are in the story uh, and then start looking for those drivers the levers that we can pull that are going to make the most impact and so these creation of the driver trees that we're calling them and finding mm -hmm. of all the variables that we have which ones are going to be the most impactful for the minimum you know with a limited amount of resources we have so how do we pull those levers and so uh, you know i like mike's um, mention of the uh, the little data versus the big data a lot of this really is a little data problem right but when you yeah. aggregate across the scale of the Department of the Navy. Um, in total, it's a big data problem, but uh, that's why we wanna really do distributed workforce. We wanna push that down to the edge. Uh, we wanna empower those smaller teams. I think it was um, Amazon just the other day, they call them two pizza teams, which I'm gonna think I'm gonna adopt that, that terminology. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. Two pizza, we, we, we hear about that all the time. And yeah, exactly. cataloging data, upskilling, super important. Alan, how about at Alterex? Give us a top priority that you're focusing on this year. Yeah, I mean, I really this, as we talk about upskilling and democratization of analytics, the education aspect is such a key and we're really doubling down in that area, um, trying, to, trying to make that accelerate. So we've got a new program, we just launched Spark Ed, we'll continue over the next couple of years uh, to really lean into that where we're helping uh, agencies, we're helping businesses and, and universities go on go on this education mission to get people more capable 
of leveraging AI and ML. And so whether it's at an individual level, helping an individual um, reskill themselves for a new career path, or whether it's upskilling so that they're learning a skill in place within their current profession, and now they're able to handle uh, more you know, data literate sorts of things. Um, this is really a, a huge focus. So we've got a, a no cost um, approach where we provide uh, our, our product capabilities as well as, as the education content uh, to help individuals and organizations go on this journey. And I'm really excited to see kind of the impact. We're already at hundreds of campuses in nearly 40 countries and, and watching kind of the explosive growth in that area is really exciting. It's fantastic. We're putting a lot of very high power tools in the hands of these folks and we need to make sure they're skilled to, to get the best use out of it. Uh, we're going to take a short break and we're going to be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Did you know the current Gartner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays positions pure storage highest on ability to execute and farthest right on completeness of vision? It is all about managing the data, and Pure is dedicated to transforming the complexities of government IT by delivering a modern data experience. Check out the Gartner Report and learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com government. Every organization wishes their data was well-structured and organized with the ability to use spreadsheets to uncover insight, but that is just not the reality. Data is messy and complex, but Alteryx makes the journey to advanced analytics achievable by upskilling your existing data resources with analytic automation, including prep and blend, geospatial, predictive, and machine learning, all in a code-free, code-friendly environment. Visit alteryx.com to learn more. Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com government. That's snowflake.com government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about data analytics, artificial intelligence. We've got the chief data officers here with us and a bunch of the partners. And uh, we're actually talking about priorities. Mike, I want to throw it over to you. Give us a, uh, uh, yeah, a list of uh, you know, top couple of priorities going on over at Department of Homeland Security. Well, thanks, Luke. That's, that's an easy one. I'll, I'll follow up on some of Tom's comments about um, about inventory, and it, it's it sounds easy, it sounds simple, but uh, for us, it's a it's an engagement. It's not a data call. Uh, our hope is to sort of learn where that data is and, and learn more about the data products uh, that are being uh, procured and 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 worked and pushed up uh, from each of those program offices and each one of those components, and sort of paint a picture about what good data is out there and and how we can put it to use. Uh, with all due respect and apologies to John F. Kennedy, uh, we continue to ask people not not what they're doing to their data, but what their data can do for them. And when when we ask that, we are always surprised in a pleasant way about how they think about data coming together, uh, not just for their localized mission. And that's really where we come in at the enterprise level to say, look, we know you've been doing this work, great work uh, for years in some cases, but think about it at a higher level. And think about if we had a place where it, you, you know you felt like you could put it 
uh, safely. So I think that's our, uh, our follow-up uh, priority, Luke, is to give uh, program offices and give components and give data owners a sense of trust that we're not going to take their data. We're not going to mistreat their data. We are not going to uh, relieve them of their, uh, you know, you know, their need to protect it, right? We're going to respect that and we're going to use that data for good. Uh, I'll go back to something Natesh said about, uh, about mission intelligence, sort of increased mission intelligence. We want to do that. We want to increase mission intelligence and business intelligence with the data we have. We want to do our best to respect all that great work that's been happening down there, but we want to spread the word. So really it's about inventory. It's about a culture of sharing. It's about recognizing that there are mission imperatives that go beyond a local program offices and go beyond local components and that are DHS uh, enterprise wide. And uh, we're going to champion those. We're going to listen. Uh, we're going to engage with our data owners and our customers uh, to, to make, make the mission better. Catalog, uh, sharing, uh, need to share, uh, all super important activities, right? Uh, basic table stakes, if you will, for some folks, they may think that, but certainly very important uh, to, uh, to take it to the next level. Nicholas, give us your top priority at Snowflake for the year. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Um, I think the biggest priority is for us uh, to keep increasing what we call the data cloud. It's thousands of customers of Snowflake that are, that are sharing and collaborating with data in the cloud, no matter what cloud. So Amazon, Azure, Google Cloud, it doesn't matter. Wherever your data is, you can share and collaborate with other cloud providers and other customers and dependents on the cloud. I, you know, the, the US Navy, we talking on the show about where the data is and where it's going. The US Navy is part, is a very important part, but one part of an entire department of defense. And we've talked about things like JADC2, the joint all domain command and control environment, where this data will all arrive in one place so that we can, keep track of everybody in a war zone better than we ever have before. We can better task assets. Uh, DHS never gets to be bored. Uh, you know, increasing the data sharing at DHS can only ever be a good thing. Um, I've had the pleasure to work with DHS in the past and here at Snowflake. Uh, the FAA, I've been a pilot for 15 years. Um, new projects like ADSB, uh, new projects like bringing commercial drones and UAVs into the airspace. These are huge problems. They're going to take more than just the FAA and data collaboration is probably the best way to do that. Um, and, you know, other technology partners like Pure and Altrix, uh, Pure is everywhere high speed storage and collaboration needs to go. Uh, and Altrix is usually where any good data is being landed at and cataloged and analyzed. So, I, you know, Snowflake is hoping to build the data cloud out, continue working with our partners uh, and most importantly, our government partners to build uh, capabilities into the Fed. Well, you called out great examples there, a lot of high priorities. Natesh, uh, we, uh, we just heard about the FAA. Give us your top two priorities for the FAA for this year. Um, uh, so two priorities. Uh, since we have established some uh, basic uh, enterprise capabilities over the past couple of years, um, last year we went to the FAA management board and requested that all the dash ones within the agency assign data champions for their organizations. So for each line of business, each staff office, there's a person assigned as the data champion for that organization. We wanted somebody close to the mission who understood data and could speak to the leadership within that organization about importance of data, where the priority should be, what kind of enhancements they were looking for. So we want to, this coming year, we want to kind of uh, push in further on that data champion stuff. And we are collaborating with those data champions across the agency to have built out data action plans, which improve outcomes within their mission. So that's 
priority one for us is to enhance the ability all across FAA to use data effectively through a well thought out data action plan, which those organizations build themselves, but we support, we uh, kind of ensure that it is uniform across the agency. Um, the second one I have already mentioned, uh, self-service to get uh, use of data-driven decisions and improve data-driven decisions throughout FAA and to get that self-service stuff going, we have to improve what we call our data dexterity. Others call it um, data literacy. We uh, just call it data dexterity. Uh, we are establishing a center for enablement for advanced analytics uh, and data. Um, and data dexterity training self-service is going to be part of it. Um, we have started collaborating with some universities for the past few semesters. We have been working with GMU to have student projects supported by our SMEs. It works both, it benefits both parties, obviously it benefits the universities to give students real world examples of problem, data problems to work on. It gives us an access into the new workforce as well as new thinking and energy within that. So that area of training data dexterity, enabling uh, folks throughout the agency to use data on their own with support from us, but independent of us wherever possible. Those are two uh, uh, key priorities for us uh, this upcoming year, uh, Luke. Wow, I, I love that second one, that partnership with the universities and the students and uh, just give them a plethora of data and let them go. Nick Saki, how about a pure storage? Give us the top priority for this year. So our top priority this year is you know, developing and expanding our investment and deployment of containerized technologies and tailoring capability for DevOps and DevSecOps, which are mm. core to artificial intelligence and machine learning operations and organizations, as well as, of course, data analytics. Uh, containerization is uh, fundamentally transforming the way in which analytics platforms are built and developed because of their, their statelessness and their, their ease of propagation and management. Um, and so we're developing our technology to deliver you know, a modern data experience uh, by enabling consumption of data services by users in a seamless, transparent, and location-agnostic fashion. And then the, the secondary, or I should say the complement to that is um, data management and portability. So the ability to move data uh, from premises to premises, from on-premises to off-premises, uh, from private cloud to public cloud and back again, but all of that being literally invisible and transparent to the user. Um, so letting the machines take care of data locality, temporality, and things of that nature, and just allowing the end users to focus on what it is that the problem they're trying to solve and not having to worry about, you know, rotating the tires and changing the oil before their morning commute. As if I had to do that, I would never drive anywhere. Well, it's a great example, right? And, uh, you know, j just having the fungibility to move around into these various compu computing environments as the, uh, the technology evolves, uh, super important. So again, they can focus on these higher order issues and priorities. All right, we're gonna wrap it up with uh, our, our last question. And, and that is, I'm gonna ask each of you to uh, paint a picture of the future, right? What does it look like uh, a couple of years from now? Not, not in a Petri dish, I'm going to start with you, Nicholas, but uh, you know, what do you see over the horizon around the corner? What's the demand signal for Snowflake right now? So I think what we're going to end up, Luke, is every agency organization, every user of data out there will no longer have a source of their truth, but they'll have the source of the truth, the actual truth. Everybody's data from the subject matter expert who knows it best 
combined for better data insights and decision making. Uh, so important and 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 a, a great catchphrase, if you will, but not a catchphrase about uh, the truth versus their truth. And I think that's really important. Uh, Nick, how about at Pure Storage? Um, well, what's it look like? You just kind of gave us a, a picture of what you're going to focus on this year. Uh, what's the storage play, the DevSecOps containerization going to look like in a couple of years? I'm glad you asked. Uh, the the thing that we're seeing is that the cost of materials for advanced technologies declining over time, and that's sort of a known. But what we've seen this year, and this is you know acutely relevant to us as a flash storage manufacturer, is that the cost of flash as a storage medium has now fallen below the price of disk. So what we expect to see is a, is a literal exponential increase in the velocity uh, with which we can move data in organizations. So what this translates to is really fast cars for world-class drivers will now be much more readily available across organizations to the point where it won't be remarkable that you have systems that are capable of moving terabytes of, of data per minute or per second um, and, and thus enabling us to get to answers faster, to derive insights faster. We've seen this happen throughout, for example, the coronavirus. Um, the research and development uh, required to create uh, and monitor uh, the deployment of inoculations to follow the disease as it progresses, as it moves across the population, et cetera, ha has been fundamentally impacted by the ability of organizations like the CDC to actually manipulate that data, receive that data, and derive insights from it within minutes as opposed to what historically has been weeks and months. That's just going to become de rigueur. We're going to see it everywhere but it's gonna be driven by some fundamental shifts underneath. It's, uh, it's, it, we live in exciting times. It, it is, uh, it is a, an era in which the infrastructure may actually be able to keep up with the increase of the raw materials. And that would very, be data in this case. Uh, and the computing, et cetera, a very good point where these things are merging together and uh, in a more synergistic way, if you will. Alan, how about at Alterex? Uh, what's it look like uh, in a couple of years for you all? So I, I really like what uh, Takariga at the GAO, uh, he's the chief data scientist there, said um, that the goal of upskilling isn't to turn everyone into a data scientist, but really to create a class of general contractors uh, who understand the power of what data has in it and can use it to improve the outcome of of their work. And I, I think he, he's dead on. I think what we're going to see is knowledge workers in, in every agency is being armed with some better technology, moving away from a 30-year-old spreadsheet into, into modern tech that allows them to leverage AI, ML, automation into their processes um, that not only brings them you know, great value in, in their careers um, and makes the work more exciting, but makes their agencies, their organizations much more competitive. And I, I think that trend is simply going to accelerate. I think we'll look back five years from now, and, and this will be a core skill uh, of every knowledge worker in the workforce. No question about it. Natesh, how about at the FAA? We've cited some examples of some, some, uh, some, some very intense programs you have over there. What, uh, what's it look like in two to three years as the chief data officer? What are you expecting to see as you look around the FAA, so to speak? What's the flying public expected to see, perhaps? Uh, much like uh, some of the others have mentioned, uh, it is uh, what we are striving for with an FAA is where, uh, an era where information provides kind of actionable insights to uh, detect and uh, predict 
unsafe operations, right? And to improve the operational efficiency. So the decision-making process for every one of these things uh, is improving. So decision intelligence, insights at the point where the decisions are made and lots of decisions get made on a daily basis throughout the agency. So that uh, availability of higher capability augmenting the human everywhere. Uh, so that is a broad expansive vision. Uh, uh, to enable that, we obviously have to get the skills of the workforce to match that. Uh, the, and the quality of the data they have uh, using have to improve and the tools that they bring to bear on the problem which we are deploying at the moment have to be up to that task so all of this uh, because everything becomes possible as the cost of these uh, mlai things continue to drop uh, as a cost to make these predictive models continue to drop it'll the, these advanced tools will kind of fade into the background and the humans will be able to make these decisions uh, augmenting their current decision process seamlessly. So uh, that is what I think we are working towards. You will see things like digital twins uh, kind of getting incorporated into key areas uh, so that we can have more real-time uh, actions on safety uh, where we, currently we kind of pre-plan those, we systematically think about the safety uh, issues, but uh, as time goes on, we're more emergent, uh, you know, uh, folks like uh, the unmanned aircraft um, or uncrewed uh, aircraft uh, enter the uh, airspace in greater numbers. Uh, the ability to actually understand uh, the airspace in near real time and the safety uh, status of the environment in near real time will become more important. So I, I think this is uh, decision intelligence at the point where the decision making is important, that's where uh, we are headed. Fascinating, and we're all looking forward to that. Thank you, Natesh. Tom, how about at the Navy? Uh, when a sailor, you know, on boards uh, at the Navy or comes out of the Navy uh, Naval Academy, well, what's it going to look like in two to three years? Are they going to be a data scientist? Are you going to hand them a laptop and a bunch of tools? What yeah, can so we expect? <laughs> So I, I think I think uh, uh, it was Nicholas who kind of mentioned that it. Uh, but so what we're striving for is a, a digital citizen. Everyone is a digital citizen. They understand what it means to participate in the ecosphere of the digital citizenship, right? They have some basic skills, right, where they can get after uh, the use of data for uh, decision making purposes and supporting operational advantage, right? Uh, but the real key thing that we're after is we, uh, you know, this term emerged a few years or so ago. I think it came from someone in the Jake, uh, the DoD, the Joint Artificial Intelligence. Center, right? Uh, it was called a no new bad, right? So don't don't deploy anything else that makes the situation worse, right? Uh, well, so we're kind of pivoting to a half full mantra here in the Department of the Navy, I would say, and we're, we're calling it embrace the new good. Uh, we're creating an environment that is better than what folks have today, and we want people to use it, and they want to embrace it, right? Um, and so we want a workforce that is enabled by data to create operational advantage and to use that information to drive the future workforce and the future war fight at the speed of mission. And so as cycle times decrease, as our adversaries get smarter and more wise, uh, as the, 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 the number of adversaries seems to be increasing, right? That we, at least from a peer adversary perspective, right? Um, we need to be able to compete on multiple fronts, uh, whether that's a digital front, 
whether that's a traditional kinetic warfight, uh, you know, whether that's inside the weapons engagement zone or whether that's from afar with long range precision fires, right? We have a very broad, uh, very diverse uh, set of things that we need to support. And so it's really important that we can gather all that sensor data. And I think Nick mentioned it as well, right? High speed, get that data in, get it processed, push the processing to the edge. Um, and then uh, really what you're doing is you have some very high skilled people that are writing, you know, really complicated algorithms, I think, um, and Atish mentioned the, you know, the unmanned situation that we have. Uh, there's a lot of things that we want to try and automate, uh, but there's also some things that will forever have humans in the loop for, you know, very good safety reasons, right? And so uh, striking that balance. And I think in the next two to three years, Luke, you mentioned, uh, you know, where do we see ourselves? I really see ourselves where those those people that have graduated and entered there, you know, maybe lieutenants or, or you know, um, the, the majors and commanders and lieutenant commanders, right, understand the value of the data and they're starting to feed that into the into the general officers and the flag officers in the department and really trying to drive that analytics uh, throughout the department. And I think it's going to be really exciting over the next couple of years. Looking forward to that. Mike Horton, again, just entered on duty. Congratulations once again. Uh, what, what, what do you think it's going to look like in two to three years? What are you expecting? You're sort of laying those tracks down, doing the catalog, cataloging, et cetera. Uh, what's your goal over the next three years as, uh, as the department matures in regards to the, the uh, data cataloging, et cetera, and the use of AI and ML? I think we're going to follow a little bit of what the Department of the Navy is doing and uh, uh, no, no new bath, right? So right now, um, you know, our data architecture is everywhere. Uh, our hope is that in a couple of years, we have, a, you know, a few things that are standard. Uh, for instance, you know, no longer, we, you know, we will have a, a, drunk, a junk drawer, right? We're, I'd rather a box of Legos. If you add something to the mix, it had better sort of fit. Uh, what we're trying to do and have that same architecture so we can utilize that data to its to its maximum. Our goal, uh, very simply, is to maximize resources, um, you know, at DHS to help people. That's what we do. That's the mission of the department. And if we can respond faster, if we can make better decisions, if we're better equipped uh, to do that mission, that's to me what uh, what data adds to that that mission set. So uh, everything we do, we'll, we'll work toward that goal. I think in a couple of years, we'll have tools that come in, we'll have data sets that come in, we'll have uh, a capability, a fast turnaround capability on dashboards. And I'll give a couple examples. Recently, um, our, uh, you know, our response to COVID and, and vaccinations, our uh, response to what's happening in, in Afghanistan, and our ability to, to move data uh, at the southern border quickly, right? The, the, those things right now are very uh, very individual. I'm hoping in a couple of years we have platforms and tools set up so those reports and, and that the speed to which we can use data to help that mission uh, is faster and more resilient and more persistent. So I think it's uh, foundational what we're doing now, but I'm, we're building toward a future where we can work together to, to speed the data to mission. Fantastic. And I really do appreciate it on every, uh, on behalf of every uh, American citizen, we appreciate everything that all of you are doing to keep the country safe and let us all prosper. Uh, I'd like to thank again, the today's guests for taking the time out of their busy schedules to join us for this program. I'd like to thank all the sponsors for supporting us on the show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. 
Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.